We're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 16. And my prayer is that through this study this morning, we will increase our knowledge of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is holy, and there is no other like him. He has revealed himself not in our fickle hearts, but as men wrote what God guided them to write by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray, shall we, as we look to his word. Heavenly Father, we are so great, grateful that you have revealed yourself to us through these scriptures. We thank you that you revealed yourself through the person and work of Jesus. And as we are on this side of history and look back and read these words, we're just so awestruck. So grateful for what you have accomplished, for what you have done. Lord, I acknowledge to you this morning that these words that you have had Solomon write so long ago are wonderful truths, but they are hard for us to accept. Would you give us the grace, dear Father? Would you give us the grace to receive them? Would you be working in our hearts that we might not just know these facts, these truths, but that you would transform our lives by them? We bless you, Father, for you are so great. You are beyond our comprehension, and yet we can know you. We thank you, and we pray that you would guide us and guide my words this morning. We pray in your name, amen. Proverbs chapter 16. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. An oracle is on the lips of a king. His mouth does not sin in judgment. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. It is an abomination to kings to do evil. For the throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the delight of a king. And he loves him who speaks what is right. 
A king's wrath is a messenger of death, and a wise man will appease it. In the light of a king's face, there is life, and his favor is like the clouds that bring the spring rain. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding, is to be chosen rather than silver. The highway of the upright turns aside from evil. Whoever guards his way preserves his life. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil of the proud. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it, but the instruction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. A worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. Whoever winks his eyes plans dishonest things. He who purses his lips brings evil to pass. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained by a righteous life. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. May the Lord use this Hebrew poetry this morning to teach us. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived besides Jesus, wrote these words that God revealed to him. Did you notice repetitious words? I hoped you did. The first nine verses, the name of the Lord is in every verse but verse 8. And then the next set of verses, the king is mentioned. There's a theme here, and this proverb, there, in this proverb, there's a switch of progression. There's a successive thought. And as we look at this first verse, the man and his plans, we see a stunning revelation. Look at this with me. The plans of the heart belong to man. Now God is telling us something here very, very important. And as we see in the next phrase, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. This is clearly a verse 
a theological verse telling us about the sovereignty of God. That God is sovereign. And when we read this, like we read most Proverbs, it's very easy, isn't it, to to take each verse as almost a separate thought. But I want you to try to see a chain here. Because I believe that it's... from, from the first verse to the last verse of this proverb, there's an emphasis on the sovereignty of God. But when we talk about the sovereignty of God, there's some difficulties that arise in our mind and mainly in our hearts. Those difficulties have to do with, what about our free will? Didn't God create us as free creatures of choice? And the other question that arises is, what about human responsibility? If God is sovereign, does that eliminate my responsibility to him? Does it it even matter what I do? I hope to answer those questions with this text here this morning. I cannot promise you that you will understand every detail as you go out of here this morning, because... When we study about God, we study theology, the vastness of God. Remember our call to worship this morning? He was talking through the prophet Isaiah about a man who was not even born yet in Isaiah chapter 45. God was revealing a prophecy through his prophet Isaiah about a man named Cyrus who was not to be born for over a century from the time that Isaiah gave that passage. And God is saying of this Persian king, Cyrus, that he would be the instrument that God would use to bring his people back to Jerusalem, back to building the wall, as we read in Ezra and Nehemiah back to rebuilding the temple as we read in Haggai and Zechariah. God was making a promise, but he was declaring himself, and he said, there is no one like me. There is no one like me. He was declaring his holiness. And when we talk about holiness, we mean he is separate He is absolutely pure. He is righteous. He does all things right and all things good. And this verse helps us to see and understand, and it's so amazing that God put it here in our preface. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this first verse and then we're going to race through the rest because I don't have time to, to explain it all. But I, I hope you will be able to follow along in your outline and, uh, and see the, the theme in this chapter. This word translated plans, it's only used here in all of Scripture. Isn't that something? That's always amazing, isn't it, when we see a word that's only used once. And, and it's here. So what does it mean? Why is it translated plans? Well, there's words that uh, are derivatives of this word, and one translation is 
a battle array. So there's, there's order as soldiers would stand in formation. Another time, another word that's a derivative of this is used in Exodus 40 in God's instruction in building the tabernacle and specifically the table of his presence. There were to be 12 loaves of bread daily placed, fresh bread placed on this table of God's presence. And that's a derivative of this word. So it's an orderliness. It's a, it's a thinking. It's a, it's a thought process that we use to bring about our actions. It's our plans. When I was a young man, my first time I left home, I went to the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology to try to learn a trade. At that school in Calgary, Alberta, there was a, another school that was attached to the School of Technology, and it was the College of Art. When I was attending, the College of Art was demonstrating, there were um, signs everywhere, they wanted autonomy. They wanted to be their own school. And this was the first time I really encountered this word, um, especially in this kind of setting where they were demanding that they be separate. They wanted autonomy. They wanted to rule their own school. They didn't want the school of technology telling them how to operate. They didn't want to have to get their funds through the channels of the School of Technology. They wanted to be independent. They wanted to self-rule. Well, this verse is very interesting because it addresses the free will of man which is not autonomous. And most people, in fact, even some theologians have declared that if man is free, he must be autonomous. That's not, this verse makes that pretty clear, that our free will is not autonomous. God gave us free will, but it is restricted to who we are, our nature. And if we, as we look at this verse and we think about, usually it's self-reflective, right? When we read a verse like this, we go, this, um, what about my plans? And what does this mean of, to me? And we often go there. Man has a free will, the ability to make choices, but it is a limited free will because of our nature. You see, we have to understand, we are not the supreme being. We are created. God is the supreme being. And he has a will. And it is freer than ours. He accomplishes everything he sets out to do. We call that sovereign. He is sovereign. He reigns, he rules, 
everything is according that happens is according to his plan. He uses it everything. But we are not supreme. In fact, listen to what Romans says about us. Romans 1 and verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteousness, righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You see, our plans, our will, is centered around two words. I want. I want. So, you see, man rebelled against God. And every single person who has ever been born, except the Lord Jesus Christ, lives with this, these two words ruling their life and their heart. And every decision, I want. Romans chapter 6 says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In fact, you're unable. You're unable to be righteous. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which, of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You see, slavery feels like freedom. We are slaves to our sin, but we think we're free. I can do anything I want, but you can't do what's right. We're slaves, and we think we're free because it feels pleasurable. We have no power or ability to change. In fact, we try to change the wrong way. We focus on our actions. Oh, if I just quit smoking, everything will be different. I'll be healthier, be wiser. If I just quit this. If I just got a better job, more money in the bank. If I just... Did stop doing this and started doing this. How many times have you heard the phrase good people? Those are good people. In fact, we say it often, don't we? What do we mean by that? Good people. Is there any good people? Those whom Christ has made righteous. 
But often we, we, someone has something, some calamity happen to them, and they go, we go, oh, but it doesn't make sense. They're good people. How could God allow that? And we get all frustrated and angry, and we get confused. But no matter how much good we do, it will never cancel out our sin. How many lies does it take to be a liar? One. One lie. One lie. And I'm a liar. Well, you folks all know I'm a liar. And I know all of you are liars. You've all done it. You're guilty. I'm guilty. We can't just stop lying and then those lies that we told are no longer valid, no longer happened. That's not the case, is it? No matter how much good we do, it will never cancel our sin. Therefore, we're guilty and worthy of the judgment of God for liars. And you know what his judgment is? Revelation 21, verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I'm not saying that unbelievers enslaved to sin do not desire the benefits we receive in Christ. They desire forgiveness, fellowship, joy, contentment, spirituality, but they desire them all without Jesus. They, their heart is autonomous. They are their own God. Every person who has not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is their own God. They live by those two words, I want. They may desire the benefits of, of what our life in Christ, but all without Jesus and giving up their sin, and they choose enslavement to him. You may be wondering, how did I get there from that verse? Well, let's look at the next verse. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Now are you seeing the succession here? The plans of man Plans of a man's heart belong to, to him, by, to a man. Well, what's the, what's the condition of his heart? Well, we think we're okay. I'm okay. And I want what I want. What's wrong with that? Well, we think we're okay. 
We think we can do enough good things to outweigh the bad, but we are denying a holy God. Because God in His holiness cannot stand sin and He must judge it. So what is the heart? The heart is the causal center of your personhood. It's the control center, the seat of your emotions, the seat of your thoughts, the seat of your desires. The real focus in this verse is drawn out by the succeeding verses about our heart. Our hearts are wicked, rebellious, anti-God, and desiring autonomy from Him. Genesis 6-5, listen to what God said about men. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. But here in the second part of this first verse, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Here we see an unquestionable statement of God's absolute sovereignty, his control of all, even the answer of our tongues, the results of our plans. We can understand from this first verse the responsibility that we bear before a holy God. We, in our limited freedom, can only do what we want. What we want determines our choices. Our choices are centered on my kingdom. But God uses our choices to accomplish His purposes. Isn't that amazing? God uses our sinful, terrible choices to accomplish his purposes. Now this is where it gets really difficult, folks, because if, if you, like I, have encouraged someone's sinfulness against them, we're going, wait a minute. That was from God? Okay, keep with me here. He is not, God is not corrupted by our sin and holds us entirely responsible. I'd like you to turn over in your Bible to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Paul, Peter is speaking at Pentecost, and he says these words. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You got that? 
Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. We know that. That's what the scriptures has been leading to, right? It was the foreknowledge of God. It was his plan. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Men were wicked and in their choices and sinful. It was about their kingdom. They delivered Christ up with no thought of God. But they followed God's purposes and His plan from the beginning, from before the creation. I want to read another. Keep your, keep your finger in Acts chapter 2, all right? We're going to come back to it, to Peter's sermon. It's, it's so terrific. But I want to remind you of another time when some men sinned against their brother. And their father, Jacob, has passed away in Egypt. And now the brother's knees are shaking because they remember what they did. And they come to Jacob, or to Joseph, and they come begging him. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. This is Genesis 50. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So, do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. What an amazing verse, isn't isn't it? Joseph said, I'm not God to bring about wrath and punishment on you. And he knew God so well. And he saw so clearly how God had used every hard thing in his life to bring him to this place where God was using Joseph to be a blessing to many countless people. So as we come back to our text, look at verse 3. We'll we'll read verse 2 again. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord. And just a reminder, this word Lord 
It's all capitalized in your Bible. You see that? That means this is God's name. Okay? This is the name of God here. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in his heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. The succession here is revealing our hearts, is it not? That our hearts are wicked. Every man is proud in his own heart. And what is that? An abomination to the Lord. God hates that pride. And all of us are guilty. And it says, will not go unpunished. Sin destroys us utterly till we face the total condemnation of it by God himself. Yes, God will judge every man for that pride. Sin, just the natural causes of sin, destroy us, wreak havoc of our lives. But one day, we will face God himself. God is holy. He is righteous. He is just and carries out perfect justice. This ought to make us all quake. And without the reality of his justice, we would never know his mercy, grace, or his love. But look and learn of our great God. He intervenes when we are helpless and condemned. He provided a way for us to be free from the slavery and penalty of sin. Look at verse 6. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. By steadfast love. When we couldn't do it, God intervened and sent Jesus, who took upon himself the entirety of God's wrath for you and for me, for anyone who will trust in Him, who will put their faith in Him. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. He gives us freedom, free will, to turn from evil. But you see here, there's also responsibility. He is holy. Paul Tripp posted on Facebook just, a couple, just yesterday, you do what is good in God's eyes because he loves you, not with the hope that if you do good, he will love you. You see, we do what is right, we do what is good because, he, because we love him, of before, because of what he did for us. We recognize, we, we have received his great salvation, and we love him. Therefore, we will do what he has said to us to do we will live righteous lives not trying to gain his love because we can't the lord's atonement the atonement means to appease to cover as we already heard the verse from isaiah 118 Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. By your repentant faith in Jesus, the Son of God, who lived a perfect life without sin, 
and died bearing the full weight of your sin and the wrath of God for your sin and rose again from the dead, you are made alive. You now belong to Christ in his kingdom for he is seated on his throne and is praying for you actively involved in everyone's life, in everything. Turning to him, asking for forgiveness, trusting him for salvation and his righteousness. From now on, in every moment, you will know true freedom. And you have freedom to change. Romans 6, says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And of course, we know Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our our Lord. Now look at these next three verses in succession in our passage of Proverbs. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. There's a change. When a man's ways please the Lord, how is, how do a man's ways please the Lord? By trusting in his atonement, by receiving him and his righteousness. Better is little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I wanted to explain to you um, how you have how you can change. And the basis is, I'm going to have to summarize it really quickly, the basis is our thoughts. Because what we think, just like in verse 1 describes, what we think is what we will do. And how do we transform our thoughts? The scripture says, by the renewing of your mind, the washing of the water of the word. We are called to know God's word, to know what he wants, to love what he loves, We're told to think on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, what is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now we come to our second point, sovereign of sovereigns. They're talking about kings, king as representative. Look at verse, at this verse in, in Proverbs. An oracle is on the lips of a king. His mouth does not sin in judgment. An oracle, that's a word from the Lord. Word from the Lord is on the lips of the king. His mouth does not sin in judgment. God makes kings as representatives of, of himself. We have rulers and governing authorities over us to represent, to cause us to remember that we, ought to, we have to submit to God. And we are called to submit to our authorities. Proverbs 21.1 reminds us that the king's heart is as a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God is sovereign of sovereigns. But there's something else about this verse if we look at it. Carefully, this verse is reminding us 
that Jesus is the King of Kings. He is on his throne. He is ruling and one day will rule on this earth. It describes a just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. Back to Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 24. God raised him up, that's Jesus, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also dwell in hope. For you not only will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And Peter goes on to describe that Jesus is the King. Jesus is the king. He is the one that David is talking about here. Verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore now know for certain that God has made him both Lord, here it is, L, small o-r-d, and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus must be our master. He must be our boss. We must submit to him. The king is responsible. He's a representative. He's also responsible. This text makes clear as, as we follow along um, in, in our text that Jesus, that the king is called to be a representative of God, he's also responsible. Verse 12, it is an abomination to kings to do evil, for the throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the delight of a king, and he loves him who speaks what is right. A king's wrath is a messenger of death, and a wise man will appease it. In the light of a king's face there is life, and his favor is like the clouds that bring the spring rain. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding, to be chosen rather than silver. The highway of the upright turns aside from evil. Whoever guards his way preserves his life. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be lowly of spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. The God holds the king to be a responsible representative of himself. In Isaiah chapter 10, God prophesies through the prophet Isaiah that the nation of Assyria will come and take his people into exile. That God will bring judgment upon their idolatry. But he says, I hold the king of Assyria responsible. The king of Assyria is my tool, but I hold him responsible and I will judge him. Moving right along, <laughs> what are you saying? Here we come to our text where it talks about the things that come out of our mouth. And interestingly, I thought it was rather interesting that the positive things are listed first. Those of the wise. Jesus is the personification of wisdom. 
Let's look at these verses. Whoever gives thought to the word, thought to the word. Let me ask you this. How often do we listen when someone else is talking? It's important. He who gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Look at this. It's coming up again in a couple verses. Good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it, but the instruction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. We're called to be persuasive, not only in our message, but in the way we talk. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and healthy to the body. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. A worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. Then we come to the worthless words. Worthless in this, in, in the original language, talks about evil, wicked, contrary to God's nature. Let's read these verses. A worthless man, verse 27, plots evil. And his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. Whoever winks his eyes plans dishonest things. He who purses his lips brings evil to pass. Do you see? God holds us accountable. Though in verse 1, he said the words from our mouth, from our tongue, are from him. Yet here he's spelling out the accountability that we have in our words. So when we say things, God holds us accountable to what we say. Talking, gossip is talking about someone to one who is not part of the problem or the solution. These words, this worthless talk is satanic. satanic it's sinful Titus 3 says as for a person that stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful he is self-condemned Paul Tripp says there's six ways to ruin a friendship will we be self-centered in our talk or other-centered? Are we demonstrating self-rule or God's rule in our speech? Are we communicating self-sufficiency or dependence on an all-powerful sovereign God? Are we communicating self-righteousness or humble confession? Are we boasting in our self-satisfaction or our satisfaction in the fullness of Christ? Are we boasting that we are self-taught or are we listening and learning? These are convicting words, my brothers and sisters. And I tell you, this, though I love this topic, I struggle with it in my heart every single day. Every moment I am fighting a battle in my heart for the things I know to be true, that God is in control. These last 
couple verses talk about a response that is required. And I have several fill in the blanks. So we'll go over them quickly. Will you be comforted? Will you be comforted by the knowledge that God is sovereign? Will you be comforted even though worthless words are said to you? Harmful words, words that hurt and cut and maybe even destroy. Will you receive comfort? Because, you see, these two things are related. How I respond to someone's words to me that hurt and that cut and that destroy are how I am responding to the sovereign hand of God in my heart, in my life. And God's purpose is being brought about, worked out in my heart, in my life. Because what is God's purposes? We know Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. But verse 29 tells us his purpose, tells us the good, that he will conform us to his image. Will you be comforted? Verse 31, gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. The gray hair is talking about longevity and a righteous life. Now, we all know there's gray-haired people who do not live righteous lives, but for the wicked, it is a sign of God's mercy and common grace and their resistance and refusal to recognize it. Second point here and this one is very convicting to me will you be angry look at verse 32 whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules a spirit than he who takes a city but folks often our reaction is one of anger isn't it when someone says something that's cutting, that's hurting, that we don't like, that crosses my kingdom. Yet God calls us, calls us by His power of His Spirit, who now indwells in us, to have self-control. His fruit. And thirdly, Will you trust? Will you trust him? Verse 20, whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. And then verse 33, the very last verse, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. There is no luck, folks. There's no chance. Isn't that good news? Everything is in God's hands. He can use evil for good, as Joseph said, to make you 
the person he wants you to be, then that is, that conforms to the image of his son. Will you trust him? Our response this morning to the sovereign Lord and his Messiah is to bow the knee. Why? We bow to the king because God's sovereign plan for the world is centered on the Messiah. God's sovereign plan is to exalt the son and through him to redeem persons from every people group on earth. God's plan will not be stopped. So do not take a stand against it. Rather, embrace it. It is foolish to attempt to live outside the sovereignty of God. Submit to the king. That doesn't mean that we don't have difficulty. That doesn't mean we just let people off the hook for sin. No, God, as, as we encountered with the kings, God expects justice. And he sets those in authority over us for justice to be accomplished. Do not let the words out of your mouth be words, worthless words. Words that cut down, that tear down, but words that build. Words that encourage. Why? For His kingdom. For His kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this text, and I feel like I did it injustice this morning but lord will you use it will you use your word and i believe with all my heart because of what your word says your authoritative word that it is more it is powerful and living and active lord i'm praying that you will change me that you will not leave me the same man I was before I studied for this text. Your precious name.